Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Now, I had done a show about this documentary earlier in the year and I thought, let's just talk about it. And of course, that's 20 feet from Stardom. Released in 2013, winner of the Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. Directed by Morgan Neville and produced by Gil Friesen, a music industry executive whose curiosity to know more about the lives of background singers inspired the making of the film. This is your cast, okay? These are background singers. These are people who are 20 feet from stardom. Darlene Love, Judith Hill, Mary Clayton, Lisa Fisher, Tata Vega, and Joe Lowry. Okay? Released in 2013, this is 20 feet from stardom. Even Lisa Fisher, a backup singer, said, I reject the notion that the job you excel at is somehow not enough to inspire to. That there has to be something more. I love supporting other artists, she added. Some people will do anything to be famous. I just wanted to sing. Mm. You've got a, you've got everyone who's everyone talk, Beth Midler. I mean, you know. Mm. Yeah. Uh, 20 Feet from Stardom is just one of those moments. It highlights these singers who were at the forefront. You know, um, Darlene Love. I mean, you you think she, she wrote that song for the Crystals and who, and she's singing on it, but they put the Crystals name on it. And so they basically screwed her over, you know, and um, for a time she didn't sing anymore. You know, she did movies, she cleaned houses, and then she became the staple of David Letterman's Christmas celebration until his end in 2015. Now The View has her, you know. But 20 feet from stardom, let let me just tell you something, and I've talked about it before. Mary Clayton, if you've ever heard the Rolling Stones, Gimme Shelter, that's Mary Clayton singing on it with Mick Jagger. And her story is interesting. You know, a lot of these women... Um, one of the Ikeettes. I mean, <laughs> this this is truly this is a moment. This is a moment. It's a documentary. Um, you know, yeah, twenty feet from stardom. You know, you got Springsteen talking about it. You know, and the background singers and um. <sighs> It's amazing. Mm. With the splendid exception of Darlene Love, who was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, most of the vocalists interviewed on screen are not well known, even though they can be heard on many of the most popular and durable recordings of the past half century. Miss Love, who did not receive proper credit for her singing on a number of Phil Spector produced hits of the 1960s, worked as a house cleaner before claiming a rightful place in the spotlight in more recent decades. Okay. Yeah. Mr. Springsteen gives notes the give and take between the lead vocalist and the supporting chorus that his has its roots in the call and the response of the black church where most of the singers in the movie started out. Many of them are in the daughters of preachers. One, Dr. Mabel John has some full circle, a former 
uh, Rolette, who oohed and awed alongside Char- Ray Charles. She is now a pastor and the founder of the Joy of Jesus Ministries in Los Angeles. 20 feet from starting, and is a chronicle exploration exploitation and appropriation or in other words the music business and also a series of tales of unprofessional commitment and artistic triumphant mary clayton tells of being summoned to a recording studio in the middle of the night pregnant and with her hair and curlers to record an amazing vocal track on gimme shelter claudia claudia linear who was an integral part of the Stones shows in the 1970s as lisa fisher a singer of truly Oh, God. Amazing range and delicacy has been since 1989. Miss Clayton, who sang on Leonard Skinner's Sweet Home Alabama, a song whose Southern pride message she found more than a little alienating. Her account of how the presence of her voice subverts some of the political intentions of the record is almost convincing. But her performance on Neil Young's Southern Man, captured on a television broadcast sometime in the 1970s, is a revelation. Backed by a funk band and sporting the cloud of natural hair, she turns Mr. Young's earnest, scolding indictment of Southern racism, which partly provoked Leonard Skinner's defensive anthem, into a tour de force of rage, passion, and defiant virtuosity. You see how a singer can transform a song. Yeah. And then David Bowie's Young Americans. I mean, yeah, it's all there. 20 Feet from Stardom is a moment. It's a moment to give pause and give the background singers their moment. And it truly, truly did. And when it received that Academy Award for Best Documentary in 2014, Darlene Love got up there and sang. And, you know, I am I am such in awe of 20 feet from stardom. I mean, there's a lot more documentaries we're going to talk about in this coming week. Um, you know, and, uh, yeah, here, here's a little of Mary Clayton talk and Queen Latifah with Darlene Love about 20 feet from stardom. Uh, the movie really captures the highs and lows of your singing careers of being a background singer at times at, at sort of, in the wings, but right out front, mm-hmm. because y- the music yes. hit all of our ears. Everybody knew your voices, but didn't necessarily know your faces or your names. Mm-hmm. How did it feel to kind of see your story unfold in that film like that? Your it, was, it was amazing to me. When you tell the story, but when you see it on film, it's it different. takes on a whole new life, uh, especially the part that you just showed a few minutes ago. I actually, when I first started, actually teared up uh, to see. I know I was cleaning <laughs> houses, and I know it's nothing wrong with cleaning houses. No, not at all. But I knew I had a gift of singing, and I knew at that moment that's what I was supposed to be doing, and I never looked back. <laughs> Brilliant motor mouth Maybell in yeah. hairspray on Broadway. <laughs> yes. Mary, you work with Mick Jagger. Yes. Um. And Leonard Skinner, too, right? Yes, we hold Sweet Alabama. Home, Alabama. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you know. I would love for you to just name a couple of the songs that you're on so people could be familiar, even though they haven't seen the film, they know your voices. Yeah, well, um, Give Me Shelter, of course, with the Rolling Stones. Oh, yeah. Because none of these records are the same without your voices on it. Let's be clear. (laughs) All props to the artist. I was the original 
Acid Queen and Tommy with the London Symphony and the Who. Wow. Tina did the movie because I was... Look, Tina did the movie because I was... But I was the original Acid Queen. You yeah, don't get stories like this every day. You have got to see 20 feet from starting. I'm telling you. Yep. Here it is. Mary, Mary's going to talk about it. I'm in the bed. Baby, you need to... Maybe you need to go and do this. Mm-hmm. I said, I'm not going anywhere. He said, oh, yeah, you're going. You need to. <laughs> you, you need to go and do this. These boys are from England. And you need to go and do this. Right. I got up stomping. <laughs> Just, like, you know how to kick dirt mm-hmm. on first base? <laughs> I stomped to the drawer and pulled me out a Chanel scarf, honey, and mm-hmm. put it around my head. Oh, because I had those uh-huh. in those days. Uh-huh. <laughs> put the Chanel scarf around my head and stomped to the den where the fur coat was sitting. <laughs> Put the fur coat on, put some blush and blushed up my lips a little bit, you know, and uh, we opened the door and the car was sitting down there waiting. <laughs> they knew you. So we go to the studio mm-hmm. and I see these little wild guys coming from the back of the studio. You know what they've been doing. <laughs> the back of the studio, here they come, walking wild and crazy. Hello. I said, well, hello. You Mary? I said, yes, I'm Mary. He says, I said, well, what do you want me to sing? So they took me in the booth and they showed me what they wanted me to sing. I said, okay, cool. So we're out singing. Old children, it's just war children, it's just a shot away. And they all up in your face and, you know, with the <laughs> lips and the whole thing going on. Yeah, Mary. So I kind of, right. yes, I kind of, yeah, I kind of dismissed them. I said, well, you guys can, you know, you finish, you can, you can go now. So, so um, they asked me to put that part on. I put that on. I said, uh-huh, I'm going to fix them. I'm going to wear this out real good so I can get back to my warm spot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Continue to sing. And then they came out to me and said, this part right here, darling, you must sing about the rape and the murder. I said, child, I'm here by myself. I'm not trying to sing anything about rape and murder. <laughs> it's just a shout away. Rape, murder. That was the lyric to the song. I said, you got to explain this to me. So they explained the Mm -hmm. rape. I said, oh, okay, I get the gist of the song. But while singing that, I don't know what it was. Something just came over me. Mm -hmm. Like all the things that was going on in the world at that time. The racism and uh, the the killing of this person, the shooting of that person, and all the civil rights stuff that was going on. I was like screaming to the top of my lungs. Just a shout away. Just a shout away. Oh, children. So I saw them hooting and hollering. They hooting and hollering back up in the booth. You know about the booth. And I said, okay, I'm going to do it one more time. They said, oh, do it one more time. So I did it one more time. I said, okay, is that enough? Let me give you one for safety. And I did it again. They still hooting and hollering and carrying on. So I was waving good night, and it was done. I said thank you and good night, and that was it. And that's them talking about from 20 20 feet from stardom. Here's another moment. Turner, oh my goodness, I continue to Turner. I I just I couldn't believe he asked me if I wanted to start working right away. And I said, Well, yes, of course, but little did I know he meant that week. Yep, can't play it because Ike's ghosts will come after me. Action figures of R&B, <laughs> uh, the Ike hits, the Ike and Tina Turner review. Look at the move! Woo! Absolutely sensational. 
Tarantino was a force of nature, of course, but they, they were no slouches either. They were fantastic. It was, what, a peace, love, and happiness, and, you know, women burning their bras, you know, women's lib, and the timing was just ripe for that way to present yourself. Yep, there's Tina. Can't play it. 20 feet from stardom. I mean, think of it, you know. Work for him, his home. Mm. Sure that you had a certain look and that you were able to walk a certain way and dance a certain way. Now let it try. Yep. There are still artists right now that view a backup singer as eye candy. Personally, that's not backup singing. That's just playing a role. Yep. That I've worked with. I just get chills when I think about how I just was so demoralized um, at the outfits. Uh, we were basically naked. Dress code. Make guys excite. Never say it. Mm. See? It's not easy. It's not easy there. And I try to carry myself in a decent way, but how it comes across. I mean, I don't set out to say, I'm going to be the sex symbol tonight. But you post a Playboy. <laughs> there was something in Playboy. Yes, there was. Oh, my. And I get in Playboy. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now we're going to do one more clip. Let me in, honey, to my other home. Woo! Can't play it, cause Mick will come after me. We know, we know about that. Yep. But you know, twenty feet from stardom, I have a new appreciation now when I hear it, and when I hear Mary Clayton on "Give Me Shelter" and what she put in that song. It should say featuring Mary Clayton. Just saying. Here it is. This is amazing. I went in again and I did that pass on the um, the part that says uh, Ray Murder, just a shot away. So I had to go up another octave. Yeah. Ray it's just a shot away. It's just a shot away. Isn't that amazing? That's 20 feet from stardom. All right. Dr. Zeus Film Podcast documentary, December, Saturday night, Unpleasant Dreams. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. You thought I forgot about you, huh? Well, because usually I, you know, like the Mandalorian episodes, I put these out at midnight, although... That episode wasn't exactly out at midnight, maybe around 12.06, but I digress. Good evening and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast, Documentary December. So, we're going to continue with an artist. This is this is a rarity. We're doing... This is an artist that has already... 
he's already been part of one of the documentaries during this month of December. And I mention him because he made news this week. Very interesting. You know, he's not getting any younger. Um, so I can understand where this is going. Bob Dylan recently sold his publishing catalog, supposedly for an amount of $300 million to Universal Publishing. Now, next year, Bob Dylan's going to be 80 years old, so it kind of makes sense. He's preparing for the future however he can. And so, because he's in the news, I figured, you know, and there are a lot of documentaries. Well, there's two prominent ones. There is, of course, Don't Look Back, D.A. Pennybaker, about Bob Dylan and his 1965 tour. And then there, of course, is No Direction Home, Bob Dylan, directed by Martin Scorsese, released July 21st, 2005. This is a long documentary. This is longer than Don't Look Back, okay? This... uh, What else can I say about Bob Dylan? What it focuses primarily is on the period of his arrival in New York in January of 1961, his retirement from touring following his motorcycle accident in July 1966. The period encapsulates Dylan's rise to fame as a folk singer and songwriter and the controversy surrounding his move to a rock-style of music. The title is taken, of course, from the 1965 single, Like a Rolling Stone. Mm. This, is a, this is an amazing artist. And I figured, you know, let's talk about him. He deserves a, a second spot on the documentary um, circuit on this Dr. Zeus Film Podcast documentary. December. Robert Zimmerman, born May. <laughs> Let's get it right, kids. You know, the, he's going to be 80 next year, so we got to wish him a really good birthday. Born May 24th, 1941, in Duluth, Minnesota. Robert Allen Zimmerman, whom we covered previously this month with his landmark documentary by D.A. Pennybaker. Don't Look Back, which opens with his video for Homesick uh, homesick Terranian Subterranean Homesick Blues. Say that five times fast. So, here we are. Bob Dylan again. No direction home. Let's go. I had ambitions to uh, set out and find like an odyssey going home somewhere. I'm set set out to find uh, this home that that I'd left a while back and couldn't remember exactly where it was, but I was uh, on my way there and uh, encountering what I encountered on the the way was how I envisioned it all. I, I didn't really have any ambition at all. I was born very far from where I'm supposed to be. That's true. That's very, very true. He said he said that in interviews, too, before. So it's like, with Bob Dylan, here's the thing that I've learned about him. He's either putting you on or he's, he's reeling it in, you know. Very interesting character. Because, you know, with Bob Dylan, 
it's hard to say are you talking to the real man or is this this is you know a lot of public people have a persona and bob dylan though bob dylan has had many many different shades and many different lifetimes he probably is one of the most interesting artists of the 20th century if you think about it and beyond because he continues and um he once told Joni Mitchell, this isn't in the documentary. I think Joni, Joni likes to play the, the media too. As he says, you know, I, I haven't written a fresh song in years. And she was like, well, where do you get them from? Oh, I get them from the box. Like the computer does it. There's a genius to Bob Dylan that is captured in this documentary. And you learn, like many, like many poets... What inspired his poetic tongue was a girl. You know, a lot of poets, it's either someone we fancy or it's another world that we fancy that inspires that poetic tongue or a song. With Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan just took it to the hilt. I mean, you think of his early poetry and you think of, you know, he looked up to Woody Guthrie. He looked up to all the folk and blues men for the day but then the beat poets yeah oh no music no music oopsie <laughs> don't come after me you're it's now worth 300 million dollars no well, yeah the press Bob Dylan versus the press. Perfect song title. Said that you must be the ultimate beatnik. What do you think? Just, just, I won't tell anybody what you say. What do you think? Not your personal comment. Yeah, what do you think? I have no opinion about that. Well, why? Because I haven't heard you sing, actually. You've never heard me sing. Hmm. And here you are sitting here asking me all these questions. Do you agree that uh, you should be the leader of singers with a message? No, I don't know what that is. Don't you think your first records were much better than the ones you do now? Who said that? This one here. <laughs> still here. You? That's him if he's American. Huh? Are you American? <laughs> I'm French. Well, that's why you probably think the first records are better. Why? Why do you sing? Why? Just because I feel like singing. Parce qu'il a envie de chanter, qu'il aime chanter. Do you have anything particularly special to express when you sing? No. No. And this documentary runs at three hours and twenty-eight minutes, so it's it's cut in two. And the first time I saw it, I think I saw it on PBS in 2005, and one half of it aired on one night, and then the next half. 
and you know you 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 get to see that moment at the Newport Folk Festival in 1965 when he raised hell and he played that electric guitar <laughs> and Pete Seeger just went ape shit and Pete Seeger didn't usually go ape shit you know he was he was a folk you know I, if I had a hammer you know huh and Bob Dylan you know I think with Bob Dylan he either means to do something or he doesn't mean it's 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 that's why that there's that wonderful moment that i just played for you bob dylan versus the press he still to this day is very weary of the press you know i would be too i mean they you know they like to stir things up and what this documentary captures though is the is the aftermath after he went electric okay and people are screaming judas you know from the stage from the rafters and you know he's playing these halls that were not made for live music and that's why i wanted to talk about this documentary because you know this is documentary december this was not really an easy choice because it was like well i don't want to talk about him again or i do because he's such an icon you know you don't fuck with bob dylan you know um it's he's there he's there i mean when my late professor asked me and and i wasn't offended by this i was just kind of shocked because my, my late professor loved literature and he loved poetry and knew allen ginsburg and you know i said um he one time said to me that is one thing about your country i don't understand is bob dylan and i said hey he is our troubadour Okay, this man, if anyone ever represented, you know, you know, Shakespeare is is universal, but the British have Shakespeare. We have Bob Dylan, you know, um, Bob Dylan took his name from Dylan Thomas. I mean, you know, okay, you're going to go from Robert Zimmerman to Bob Dylan. All right. Hmm. There's so many moments in, I mean, you get to see that. He, even though he didn't write House of the Rising Sun, is that he was the one who originally did the vocal, t- the, the vocal style that everyone copied, including the animals. I mean, it, when we all think of House of the Rising Sun, we think of the animals. But Bob Dylan, in terms of that vocal style, that approach, he's the one that everyone copies. Okay? My God. <laughs> Here, here's, here's a little taste of Bob Dylan's genius just with his own words I'm looking for a place that will collect clip bath and return my dog he's reading a sign outside this is part two of the documentary tobacco no direction home animals and birds bought or sold on commission I want a dog that's going to collect and clean my bath return my cigarette and and give tobacco to my animals and, and give my birds up for commission i want i'm looking for somebody to sell my dog collect my clip buy my animal and straighten out my bird i look for a place to bathe my bird buy my dog collect my clip sell me cigarettes and commission my bath i'm looking for a place that's going to collect my commission sell my dog burn my bird and sell me to the cigarette gonna burn my buy collect my will and bathe my commission i'm looking for a place that's going to animal my soul knit my return bathe my foot and collect my dog commission me to sell my animal to the bird to clip 
and buy my bath and return me back to the cigarette. And so, you know, as someone who liked to, he didn't just play with words, okay? Think, think of homesick, uh, homesick subterranean blues, okay? And how he's, he's, you know, piling those words up. And so that's a moment of Bob Dylan. I think he's having, he's having fun. He loves words and he loves to just dig deep with them. I mean, you, you know, what's analyzed in this documentary, this is, this is taking place during the civil rights era. The sixties were a tumultuous time. I wasn't there, but there was a tumultuous time. And, you know, you got all these race riots and, and, um, demonstrations. And what does Bob Dylan write to signify this moment? A hard rain's gonna fall. It's raining tonight. So I thought, hey, hard rain's gonna fall. It's metaphoric. So when people say, well, did the rain really fall like that? It's metaphoric. Okay. That's the thing with Bob Dylan. You know, um, all these all these songs that he wrote are really analyzed with a microscope in no direction home and that's a testament to martin scorsese martin martin scorsese who i mean if you're going to get anyone to do a document on someone such as bob dylan oh my god yeah if we can play this clip here we go. Is it, hopefully it doesn't have any music. I really can't say the girls took a liking to me or not from playing around town. The first girl that ever took a liking to me, her name was Gloria Story. Gloria Story. I mean, that was her real name. Second girlfriend was named Echo. Now, that's pretty strange. I've never met anybody named Echo. Yeah, and music is playing. But he talks about... I serenaded her underneath the ladder that went up to her window. And bo- both these girls, by the way, Brad, brought out the poet in me. See? It's it's about a girl. You know, you think of that. that see, think of some of those songs that he wrote, okay, to make you feel my love. Um, uh, what's another one? Oh, Queen Jane, approximately. I love that song. Um you know um i i always think of that movie the dreamers because that's the first time i heard that song queen jane approximately or is it queen jade yeah and then you know you think of those love songs that he wrote i mean those women <laughs> yeah i mean they truly brought out the poet in him you think of um lay 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 and he's talking about his big brass bed you know um what's another one yeah, he I mean he was writing love songs. He was writing love songs. But you know, these within a Bob Dylan, you know, context, these songs, I mean these songs are these songs are cra- cra- they're crazy. And um no direction home. Ah, here it is. So what happens is, you know, when uh, before he went electric, people people thought Bob Dylan was a prophet, okay? It's it's the truth. People thought that. And then he went electric and all shit broke loose. Don't boo me anymore. Don't boo me. God, that booing. I can't stand it. <laughs> oh my god. It's hard to get in tune when they're booing. Yeah, I can't get in tune at all when they're booing. I can't I can't uh, it, it, I can't uh, hear anything. 
I don't even want to get in tune. <laughs> when they yell in this weird, weird nasal tone from here. Oh, Jesus, you know, I don't understand why they, how can they buy the tickets up so fast? I mean, you know, let's get that light off. So the paranoia is setting in. You know, you got to understand this is this was a new age of celebrity. You got the Beatles, you got Bob Dylan. Mm. And then of course you got Allen Ginsberg who inspired everybody. Oh, 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 it's music. Uh, better particularly I'll know my song well before I start singing. Where all souls shall reflect it, or you know, stand on the mountain where everybody can hear. It's sort of this biblical prophecy. Poetry is words that are empowered that make your hair stand on it, that you recognize instantly as being some form of subjective truth that has an objective reality to it because somebody's realized it. Then you call it poetry later. Mm hmm. That's true. Um, Bob Dylan and Ginsburg knew each other so well. And I wish there was a, you know, there's a really good documentary on the Beat Poets called The Source from 1999. I urge all of you to watch it. Um, this documentary on Bob Dylan, though, let, let me, let me tell you something. Woo! Yeah. Yeah, there's a moment with him singing with Johnny Cash. I'm so lonesome, I could cry. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man. I mean, this this documentary truly carries so much, um, you know, um, cojones when it comes. It, it won Martin Scorsese a Peabody Award for in 2005. Yeah. Just amazing. What what a character. What an icon. And he you've got it in this documentary. And of course, without if the, if there's no music in here. <laughs> Let's see. Al Cooper. Yeah. Who worked with Bob Dylan? Who wrote who did that famous name, Tom Here we go. to a recording session. And me being 21 years old and incredibly ambitious and a big Bob Dylan fan. I decided I was going to play on that session. There was another guitar player who sat down and was uh, warming up and just was playing far beyond my abilities. And he turned out to be Mike Bloomfield. I packed up my guitar and I went into the control room where I belonged. After the first couple of hours of the session, they moved the uh, organ player over to piano. And uh, uh, and I said, well, here's another chance for me. So I said to Tom Wilson, why don't you let me play the organ? I got a great part for this. And uh, Tom Wilson said, oh, man, you don't play the organ. You're a guitar player. I said, I got a really good part for this. I can play it. He said, Al. And just then someone came and got him to take a phone call that came in for him. So he didn't say no. Like a Rolling Stone uh, remake, take one. What are you doing there? <laughs> At that point, he really could have just busted me and got me back in the control room. 
but he was a very gracious man. And so he let it go. And so I began to play in the verses in the beginning. You hear me come in always an eighth note behind the band to make sure that I played the right chord. The band would go boom, boom, and I'd go like that. Boom, 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 like that. They started playing it back. After about a verse or two, Bob said to Tom Wilson, hey, turn the organ up. And Tom Wilson said to Bob, oh man, that guy's not an organ player. He's just, and Bob said, I don't care. Turn the organ up. Oh, okay. Yeah, there we go. We don't just in the nick of time that that you think of it that famous moment that kick the snare drum kick and then that organ just plumbing through uh for like a rolling stone if ever there was a song to define bob dylan it's like rolling stone i mean yes blowing in the wind um but that's see that's one of the many moments within this documentary this is an epic documentary on bob dylan who whoever's gonna shoot me is there a, is there a shotgun in the house <laughs> how do you find that out albert just, well, they call they just on the house it's only a crank they just phone from the house phone bob's office they say they're gonna shoot me well they do this often <laughs> well, i don't mind being shot man but i don't big i don't think being told about it <laughs> Oh, man, I can't believe that. Don't worry, Mickey. I'll protect you. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, don't tell me not to push too hard, man. I'm worried about getting shot. I'm not going to push too hard. Yeah. You know, this was, this was a hotbed time. You know, he goes electric. And... Hmm... Shit hits the fan. Shit hits the fan. People were booing him. He was getting death threats. You had people saying, Oh, he's changed from what he was. And, you know, to have to bear the brunt of that and No Direction Home, this documentary by Martin Scorsese, truly captures this essence this this moment in bob dylan's life that i mean I, al cooper was talking about or is it coper was talking about how they were going to go to dallas to play where they just shot the president and in 1963 so it like i said it was a it was a hotbed time in terms of that you know this this differs from don't look back okay don't look back is different i mean it's fresh it this, don't look back is bob dylan that's his peak and what no direction home does is it goes and starts from the beginning and here you have bob dylan in modern day you know he just written the book chronicles about his life and when he first came to new york city and then you know the coffee houses and you know those one-nighters and and becoming this folk icon getting signed to columbia records he's still with columbia records to this day that's that's a career right there is that you're still with um you know he's an he's an iconoclast and if i can find it 
there's a lot going on no direction home and by the way you can watch it on netflix it's available on netflix to watch you can watch it on apple music or apple films um i i would love to play ballad of a thin man but i i know i would get in trouble and uh they had ambitions to uh, set out and find. Yeah, and that's interesting. If any of you have ever studied the Odyssey and Homer, so Bob Dylan sees himself as Homer, and his Odyssey is to get to New York. That's his Odyssey. He's sticking to it. Oh my God. Mm. Yeah. Okay. No, no. You know, this, this, uh, there's a lot going on. Like I said, in a perfect world, we could play the songs in a perfect world. But unfortunately, this is not a perfect world. (laughs) I mean, come on. This is, uh, is this? No. It's 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 interesting how the songs are you know they're wrapped up in it. Ah, here we go. What do you think of this? He said, "Oh, that's pretty fucking good." You know, said, so, you know, a bunch of years from now, all these people, all these assholes, are going to be writing about all the shit I write. I don't know where the fuck it comes from. I don't know what the fuck it's about, and they're going to write about what it's about. <laughs> that's a that's a great song. That's a great. And that's Joan Baez impersonating Bob Dylan. Joan Baez was Bob Dylan's great muse. Mm. Um, I gotta, I gotta give it to Martin Scorsese for this. You know, there, there's a lot of, you know, what Scorsese loves to do the grimy, grippy, grimy, and with No Direction Home, he's hit it right there. He's hit it. He's hit it out of the ballpark, and you know, you learn so much more with No Direction Home through this documentary. It was a very exciting scene back at the hotel. This is Allen Ginsberg. Dylan was down the hall with the Beatles. Then a message came that I was supposed to come in there. So I came into the room and everybody was sitting there totally stone cold, silent, frozen, paranoid. Not quite knowing my place, knowing Bob, I sat down on the side of his armchair. John Lennon said snidely, why don't you sit a little closer? And I suddenly realized they were just so naive, they were young. So actually I fell over laughing onto John's lap, looking up at him and asked him, do you ever read William Blake? He said, never heard of him. And his wife said, oh, John, stop lying. Then everybody began laughing, and then the scene sort of broke up, uh, you know, the, the ice was broken. It struck me as funny that these guys at the summit of power, spiritual power, musical power, world uh, fame, 65, May, June, were um, so unsure of their minds and speech. Yeah, and that's uh, when it takes someone like Allen Ginsberg to dip that in there. Oh my god. Mm. Yeah. See they were all they were all getting together and that's the beauty of No Direction Home is it captures that it captures moments like that. If I can what is this? Okay. I'm looking at other clips um 
it, it is a powerful documentary and, and it talks about you know the motorcycle crash What's wrong with him today? See the kind of shit they're, thro- they're throwing at him? And I can understand why he would want to retreat, why he he didn't trust people anymore. And re- basically re- um, um, went out to Woodstock, New York and lived a life and raised a family for a while. Okay, because you know Bob Dylan's one of those restless spirits. He can't just stay home daddy you know no 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 bob dylan's got to go out on the road okay he's got sea legs he's got to go out on the road that it's just within him it's that poet but it's that musician that traveling troubadour you know and no direction home covers a long i mean that's why it's three hours and 28 minutes long you gotta have a you gotta plan a whole day to watch no direction home it is long but it's worth it you learn so much more about bob dylan through martin scorsese's lens i mean martin scorsese is a really great film historian and preservationist and the fact that he would he, he you know he recognizes the iconoclastic you know moment of bob dylan and everything that bob dylan is is and does represents man i can't make it tonight i don't know how to cover up for it it's something i never figured out i just nothing i can do about it. i just shouldn't be singing <laughs> And that's toward the end of the documentary and music's playing and we can't we can't play it because copyright. That three hundred million dollars Bob Dylan really does make me proud because I'm gonna tell you something. Like I said at the beginning of the show, I understand why he did that, why he did that deal. Because like I said, he's going to be 80 next year. And Bob Dylan is aware of his own mortality. And, you know, he could live another 10, 15, 20 years, okay? He's Bob Dylan. There's always something magical to Bob Dylan. Don't don't you get that twisted now. Don't forget it. Unlike many other artists who came out of the 20th century, Bob... And Bob Dylan, you know, they mentioned this in the documentary, basically introduced the Beatles to pot. Okay, so and if you've ever heard the album Revolver, there's a song in there called Dr. Robert. Who do you think that's about? Dr. Robert, Robert Zimmerman. Yeah, you know, or the fact that, um, you know, uh, popular bands were doing Hey Mr. Tambourine Man play a song for me, you know, because they had the nice voice and Bob did and Bob had the troubadour voice i wanted to cover all of this and encapsulate it within the dr zeus film podcast this documentary december this idea also came out of talking to uh jason almy of shit happens when you party naked saying he said you know you know music try to combine all of them
<laughs> in the mountains of Tennessee. Or well, Sicily. When, when you're staying, when, when you, you're staying in the States, I mean, when you come back? I don't know. I just want to go home. As he's rocking back and forth, and this is toward the end of the documentary, you see a Bob Dylan who is exhausted, who's obviously using drugs. But we're not discussing that. That's besides the point, is that he's using drugs. What it is, is that's what fame does, okay? Especially someone as prolific and iconoclastic as Bob Dylan. The things that he wrote, you know... um, Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, blowing in the wind. The answer, my friends, you know, come on. Um, like a Rolling Stone, uh, Maggie's Farm. Oh my God, hard rain's gonna fall. One of my favorites is, and it, they play this in the documentary, is um, you've got a lot of nerve. You say you are my friend. And it just goes on and on. But, and then there's Ballad of the Thin Man. Al Cooper. Pl- Cooper played on Ballad of the Thin Man, which is such an epic piece of music from Bob Dylan. And, and you know, you think, okay, Bob Dylan and Paul Simon and Joni Mitchell and the Beatles were all playing with these words. I mean, you know, all, everyone else was playing with Sonic and Bob Dylan was like, no, no, I'm going to play with these verses because, you know, and if you listen to home, Subterranean Homesick Blues, he's rapping in a way, you know, there's a jive, there's a style of hip hop to it. And, you know, that's, like I said, that's why I do these documentaries. And that's why Bob Dylan, whenever I'm going to talk about him, it's very important. But I got to give a big shout out to Jason Almy, If Shit Happens When You Party Naked, and Christine Almy, such great, a great support. You know, um, they do an amazing podcast, Shit Happens When You Party Naked. But for Jason to say to me, you know, you know a lot about music. You should incorporate it. And I thought that's where I got the idea for Documentary December. Music documentaries only. And so we're going to continue them. And today we talked about No Direction Home, Bob Dylan. Directed by Martin Scorsese. Three hours and 28 minutes. You better get ready. Don't even bother with the popcorn because you need to be able to hear this movie. Oh, my God. Uh, The documentary describing the 1960 New York folk scene served as the inspiration to... Okay. Oh, okay. To Justin Timberlake for his part in the Coen Brothers-related drama Inside Lewin Davis. Scorsese would make a second documentary on Bob Dylan 14 years later, Rolling Thunder Revenue, a Bob Dylan story by Martin Scorsese, this chronicling his 1975 Rolling Thunder Revenue concert tour. Mm, Maybe we'll talk about that. So, to Bob Dylan, thank you. And thank you for, I mean, the fact that at 79 years old, you made the news again, not just for a hit album, but the fact that you... You're preparing for the future, and we're all aware of that. And you that you report to the chief commander, as you call it. That's why when COVID lifts, okay, when everyone's been inoculated, who's going to have a tour first? It's going to be Bob Dylan, because Bob Dylan, that is in his blood. He's got to work. He's not just going to, oh, you know, I'm just going to sit back and tend to the grass. No, no, no. He doesn't do that shit. Bob Dylan has to work. And now he can just work. I mean, he can have fun. I mean, you think of it. 
he he has sold his publishing, okay? He's preparing for something. And so I urge all of you, go to Netflix. You can watch No Direction Home, directed by Martin Scorsese, released in 2005. Bob Dylan. This is Bob Dylan at a moment in his life, okay? You got to understand, he's just chronicled his life. He's in his 60s and is fully aware of the life that he led and doesn't seem, I mean, like I said, it's keeping up appearances to some, um, doesn't seem embarrassed or bothered like most artists uh, looking back on his career, how he got to where he got to, you know, and for him to say, you know, well, it's like Homer's Odyssey. He sees himself as the forefront of that as you can. And then uh, the name, you know, when people would ask him, why, why did you name yourself Bob Dylan? Well, you can call you, well, it's land of the free. You can call yourself anything you want to here. Yeah. So that Bob Dylan is a really great magician, magician. He's a magician. He's magical. His music is magical and also how he sees the world. Okay. Cause he's seeing something that we don't know. So with this news of $300 million, supposedly for, for his publishing. Okay. I thought it was fitting to talk about no direction home because now after this, he, he has put a pin in it. Okay. After this moment, there's no direction home. There's no going back. And we can reference his first documentary in the 1960s by D.A. Pennybaker. Don't look back. Bob Dylan doesn't have to look back now at $300 million. Okay. So I, like I said before, I, I'm a big Bob Dylan fan. I'm not just a fan. I mean, I, I understand it. You listen to the songs and you listen to other people do them, but at the heart of it is the words. You know, there are certain songs that people cover and you can just tell that's a Bob Dylan song just by the cadence, just by how he wrote it out. You know, I mean, when people, if anyone were to cover Lovesick, you know, you know, that's Bob Dylan. Uh, like Rolling Stone, I mean, even Jimi Hendrix covered it in the 60s. Jimi Hendrix famously covered um, All Along the Watchtower and made it into something sonic and something um, ambi- you know, ambitious. And Bob Dylan liked that, you know, to have someone take his song to the ultimate stratosphere, you know, that Hendrix was able to do. And that's why I've said, you know, musicians in the sixties, it was about that sonic boom with Bob Dylan. It's about the verse. It's always about the verse. It's always about the lyric. How's he going to cut you in the, with this lyric? How is he going to fuck you up with that lyric? It's almost like on the li- along the lines of a gangster rapper. And I know some of you would laugh and say, you're comparing Bob Dylan to a gangster rapper. Here's the thing. There is a fine line between hip-hop and Bob Dylan, and Bob Dylan knows that, okay? And the the early troubadours knew that. So, yeah, I, I recommend it. No Direction Home, Bob Dylan, directed by Martin Scorsese. As always, unpleasant dreams, and remember, like a rolling stone...
Yeah. One of my biggest kicks is just going out to eat or going to movies, you know, and doing things I couldn't do when I was, you know, in the middle of the Beatles stuff. And I really get off on that. And people occasionally people ask for autograph or just want to shake hands is the coolest one that happens, which is cool with me. And uh, I'm just known enough to keep my ego floating, but unknown enough to get around, which is nice. Okay. I've followed you for a long time. Thank you. Thank you. That, of course, is Howard Cosell, the late Howard Cosell. Good evening, and welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. Forty years ago, on December 8th, 1980, I was there, but I was just a little infant, two days old. John Lennon was murdered outside of his Dakota apartment by Mark David Chapman. A mentally ill, deranged man who... Hours earlier had received uh, an autograph from John Lennon and then shot him in the back and proceeded to read Catcher in the Rye. Disturbing. Forty years ago. Mm-hmm. Lots been said. That day, you know. In the, in the 50s, the day the music died was the day that Buddy Holly and the Big Bopper, Richie Valens all died in the plane crash. And then there was another day the music died, and that was the day today, December 8th, 1980. John Lennon murdered. Mark David Chapman to this day tries to seek parole and is denied every time. Love her or hate her, Yoko Ono has vowed that she will continue fighting his appeals. So tonight, in honor of his life in New York, because you know for almost 10 years, John Lennon spent the remaining years of his life in New York City with his wife Yoko Ono and and his son Julian Lennon who would visit and then they had another they had a baby Julian Lennon and John Lennon often times would say he should have been born in New York City and the clip that you heard earlier was of John Lennon in Lennon NYC a documentary about John Lennon's New York years an amazing documentary it highlights why he fell in love with New York him when he uh, there's a beautiful portrait of him and Yoko Ono and they're on this boat and you can see that the twin towers are being constructed around this time so it's early days and they felt like they were foreigners in a new land because they felt you know England had just become too much for them and the British press went after them 
This was released in 2010, directed by Michael Epstein. In October 2010, John Lennon would have been 70 years old. This year, he would have been 80 in 2020. In December of 2000, or 2020, he will have been dead for 40 years, yet his art still haunts us. This film explores and celebrates the arc of Lennon's solo career, the art and choices that his and Yoko Ono's intense creative and personal collaboration produced is a major focus. With unprecedented and exclusive cooperation from Yoko Ono, access to never-before-seen material from the Lennon archives, and conversations with his closest people, Yoko Ono, Elton John, the photographer Bob Grun, Ringo, Lennon NYC is singular poised to tell John Lennon's story as it has never been told before and it will never be told again. This documentary is powerful. Um, there are all those, you know, I think people with John Lennon in this documentary, what might have been. There was a point where he took five years off, something that was unheard of, just to look after his son, Sean. Didn't do that to Julian, and yes, I mentioned that. It's kind of a slap in the face to Julian, if you think about it. And, and I'm going to say that. Because it needs to be said. <laughs> Lennon NYC is a is a portrait. It's you know it's a man who is unfortunately we realize now living on borrowed time. It covers everything. It covers you know what happened? Um so John Sinclair who was a music uh, musician and manager for the MC5, got in trouble, okay? So they put on this, this benefit concert for John Sinclair. John and, and Yoko Ono, and they sing a song called Free John Sinclair, okay? And then the FBI starts to investigate John Lennon and Yoko Ono, mainly John Lennon, and they want to get him out of this country and they want to deport him. The Nixon, the Nixon administration, which has nothing better to do than to deport rock stars. And this documentary highlights that. And then it highlights the music, the solo career. I mean, imagine. Instant karma. Mind games. Just like starting over. Just like starting over. That was the comeback right there. 40 years ago. The last album that was released in his lifetime. John Lennon and Yoko Ono, Double Fantasy. Lennon NYC. You you learn a lot of interesting things. You learn that John Lennon and his wife at one point were ex, you know um, apart for personal reasons. And what brought them back together, you know, it was feeling like teenagers again. That duet that John Lennon did with Sir Elton John, whatever gets you through the night. And John made a promise to Elton John and said, if this song goes to number one, I'll perform it with you. And he did. He went to uh, Madison Square Garden to a rousing reception. But in this documentary, you see the politics, okay? And then you see his descend onto New York City. Greenwich Village, where they lived at at the beginning, 
Allen Ginsberg was there, the Andy Warhol scene. You know, Yoko Ono was part of the Andy Warhol scene because she's a performance artist. So here she is hanging out with Jonas Mikas, may he rest in peace, Andy Warhol, Allen Ginsberg, and John Lennon and Yoko Ono, you know, are part of this. You know, Greenwich Village is known as the artist circle. You think of in the early 50s and 60s with the beat poets and Bob Dylan and Joan Baez and, you know, all these comedians. Lenny Bruce. And then you have in Lennon NYC all these moments, you know. Uh, John Lennon really just, you know, it covers also war is over if you want it remember that the 1969 uh, 70 you know uh, ads that they put all over the country all over the world and then they later recorded the song war is over merry christmas if you want it such a powerful song and then of course imagine imagine which catapulted i mean john lennon's solo career that song alone and then it just continued. And then he had, you know, his lost weekend. And then eventually came back with Yoko Ono and they had a child. And he became an, an American citizen toward the end of his life. And there was always that talk of bringing the Beatles back together. And it didn't happen. On December 8th, 1980, John Lennon was shot by Mark David Chapman. And the documentary NYC, Lennon NYC, just covers his New York years, his New York years where he's, as he says at the beginning, he's able to go to the movies. He's able to go out to eat and people do come up to him and say, here, let me shake your hand. One gentleman says, Hey, let me shake your hand. When are the Beatles getting get back together? He's like, tomorrow you're full of it. I love your album. I love your new album. And the New Yorkers loved John Lennon. And, you know, it's like the, the Greta Garbo sightings in New York City that people have told me about. If they saw John Lennon, it was always in Central Park with Yoko Ono. You know, or they were going to the recording studio to work on the follow-up to um, Double Fantasy, which was to be Milk and Honey. And so, for after five years of not recording, John Lennon... Uh, suddenly one day wanted to record again and so they brought this band together jack douglas said hey let's record and these songs just started to spill out and john lennon said it was like he was returning to a form that he had known when he was a teenager when he first started out as a musician coming full circle not realizing the borrowed time he's living on but he's come full circle. And at the beginning of, this isn't in the original mix that we all hear. It shows them recording Double Fantasy. And he says at the beginning of the song, this is for Jack, or this is for Buddy, Chuck, Buddy, and Elvis. And um, starts singing. And, you know, did I think he did that song with... Uh, Phil Spector because it had that Spectre sound, you know. Lennon NYC. If you want to watch it, I encourage you. It was released 10 years ago. It's introspective. It's beautiful. 
to my New York friends whom I love. One of them I'm thinking of right now, and I hope he's doing well. Uh, he's not had it. He's not had an easy time health wise. I'm getting a little verklempt, and so I'm doing this to send this out to him. You know, he and I often talk about him taking me to the different spots. You know, like Strawberry Fields Forever, the memorial for John Lennon, where everyone gathered on that night after John Lennon's death. You know, or the the obit that they would play on TV with the song "In My Life," and so did my friend tonight, who loves the the state that he lives in. He's a New Yorker. Oh, he's a New Yorker. All right. Oh yeah, I can't do it. He he always could do um, what is it uh? What's funny is you know if he's if he's really tired, you can hear um his long island accent and you know i like it i like it i you know he uh yeah it's funny ah yeah and so tonight we're gonna dedicate the show to him because i hope he's doing well you know um never forgets my birthday but that's besides the point this is someone who you know loves music used to work you know for music television that's all I'll say, you know, and, and I'd love to document that one day we'll have him on the show. If he can talk about it. I mean, the people that he got to meet and stand next to, and these are people that he listened to when he would tell me and I'm like, but, and and he's very, you know, he's very careful about it. He's not going to ask them for an autograph. And he told me how his mother would teach him, you know, you need to be respectful because they're people too. When it came to really famous people, um, his mother served uh, many well-known people. And he says he was right there. You know, they'd come into the store to buy something and he'd see them. And he, his mother taught him not to gawk, just to be polite and to be kind. And... Um, his family was in New York around that time in 1980, you know, and he has a very interesting story. Um, I was thinking about this the other night where he used to sing his son, the good night song by the Beatles, which I think was originally written for Julian Lennon. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? So John Lennon, wherever you are, the day, the day the music died, but the music didn't die. John Lennon died in, in body, but in spirit and musically, he's still here. You know, we just did a, a documentary on the doors and I love the Beatles, but I love the doors a little more. But there, there's nothing. When it comes to John Lennon, it's like, come on, I'm going to get verklempt, okay? Those songs, you think about how, how important those songs are. War is over if you want it, but this is Christmas. You know, one of my favorite Christmas songs right there because there's a message behind it. You know, yeah. There's always a message behind it when it comes to John Lennon and then the music of the Beatles. Lennon NYC the the love 
that New York gave to John Lennon and the love that he gave back. Mm. That's, that's, you know, in the end, you know, that song by the, the Beatles from the final album, the love that you get back is more there. The love you take is more that you get back. Yeah. I think I said it wrong. Uh, this documentary, please watch it. It's the Dr. Zeus film podcast. This is documentary December. And I told you we're going to talk about all of them. You know, I'm, I've got that calendar out. I'm counting down. I'm recording these as fast as I can because you never know. I might become busy. And so what I do is I have them recorded and then I send them out to you in the ether. And that's where John Lennon is right now. Somewhere in the ether floating around. Looking at how crazy the world is. And how even throughout all of this, we're still talking about his music. We're still talking about this very dark and sad day. But how the music fills us all with hope. And of course, his memorial, Strawberry Fields in New York City. A place that he loved. A place that he revered. He loved playing Madison Square Garden. He did so many benefit concerts. How he fought for those who didn't have a voice. And that's what Lennon NYC shows you. Is John Lennon. This is truly the twilight of his life. And I don't, you know. You know, in terms of the time that he, he died at 40. That's a young age. Very young. Lennon NYC. A documentary. A portrait of John Lennon. Ten years until the end of his life. (sighs) The music, the songs. You know. Too bad that, you know, I was going to talk about A Hard Day's Night, but that's not a documentary. That's a music film. But it's a mockumentary poking fun at Beatlemania. What could what could be better? There's a really great moment where the woman and him and he's she's like, "You're him." No, I'm not. But you look like him. Oh no, my eyes are lighter. You know, you don't look like him at all. She looks more like him than I do. That's what he says. <laughs> so, directed by Michael Epstein. Released on December, or September 25th, 2010. 115 minutes. This is Lennon, NYC. Unpleasant Dreams. I think it's terrific. She needs something to do. What do you mean? She needs something to do besides forgery and make snowflakes and doing her own little crappy stuff, sleeping all day, she's busy, keeps her out of trouble. Yeah, um, so, welcome to the Dr. Zeus Film Podcast. I figure let's do something a little unhinged, and that of course is the 2004 documentary Loud, Quiet Loud, about the reunion of the Pixies. The Pixies that inspired Kurt Cobain, 
I mean, he's often said that Smells Like Teen Spirit basically is a Pixies rip. And so, here we go. It's been over a year since I've done any drugs or drinking. That's what the beer is. That that's a non-alcoholic beverage. Oh, okay. David, what are you most proud of? My magic. Well, as you can see, I'm displaying it proudly on my oh, chest. Nice. That's awesome. Sure. <clears throat> nice. This is so exciting. <laughs> She's so tickled. I just have to not think about it too much. Really? Mm. Maybe that's what I'm doing. Because I'm, I'm just like. I'm like, oh, gee, I'm not really nervous about it at all. And then I start to think about it, and then I'm like, ooh, that's why I'm not nervous about it, because I'm not thinking about it at all. Yeah. i just been like, yeah, I'm just playing a gig. Super normal. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening. Like I got a Very good. No, 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 Thank you. You're welcome. Well, yeah. what should we toast to? Yes. Nice Two. Don't screw up. Don't screw up. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Joe, you're scared. Have fun. Have fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's just have fun. that I'm going to spaz and forget like like gouge away I'm going to think it's in G but you know what it's a warm up yeah it's a warm up game that's right. why we're doing this they're not going to care just but as long as they have you know, there's a lot of people in Seoul that I think that bitch would have learned this song Ten minutes, Kim. That is a clip from Loud, Quiet Loud, because, you know, that's that's part of the Pixies ethos is loud in the verse, quiet in the chorus, or no, quiet in the chorus, lo- quiet in the verse, loud in the chorus, you know, gouge away. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. They have the two twins, Kim and Kelly Deal. I think Kim Deal and her sister Kelly are musical geniuses. And there was always that, you know, you see it. You see kind of the animosity in this documentary about the Pixies. You know, the Pixies, to this day, they continue without Kim. But, you know, Kim's got the breeders. Um, very, you know, there's something to be said about this band and that's why we're doing this documentary on them documentary to december you know people are asking why are you doing a documentary on the pixies here's why is because the pixies that's alternative right there this their sound has been copied by so many people quiet loud quiet loud is the story of an unforeseen plot twist a deeply compelling portrait of the four band members and their difficult tense and untimely triumphant return Directors Stephen Cantor and Matthew Galkin. Yeah. 
This is this is it, kids. This is this is the Pixies. Released in 2007, documenting their 2004 and 2005 tour. And, you know, there's there's just a lot going on. First of all, they all have their own personal lives. Kim and Kelly live with their parents. Um, Frank Black, or uh, whatever his name is, he goes by several different names. Um, Charles, or, yeah. He has kids and is living, I think, in Oregon. And then Joe, Joe... Um, has a wife and they have a band together and that she is pregnant with a baby and then David Lather- uh, Loverin is that how you say <laughs> let's let's get it right kids this is uh this is a Dr. Zeus film podcast let's have a little fun let's not be by the book don't worry I'm not doing drugs or smoking or drinking it's just it's a nice night to just unwind if I can find it, you know, when you pull these, uh, open main menu, open main menu, combine shape, search, David Lovering, David Lovering, his birthday is tomorrow. So I thought, Oh, great. Let's get these December six babies in a bunch, you know, um, this documentary really covers, I mean, (laughs) you know, Ringo Starr often talks about me blisters on my fingers. Kim Deal has blisters right after the show. Here it is. Freaking out. Yeah, well, were you? Were you? Yeah. You must have been. <laughs> they're so they're so excited that we were here and playing. Yeah. Are you so good for fingers or for wrist? Uh, hands. My hands. Cramping. Yeah. I bet that'll go away after a couple Ooh. weeks. Just shake it out too. <gasps> Yeah. I've got blisters on my fingers. You mentioned, I bleed towards the end. I, I had glanced at this guy, oh, and I just thought, oh, oh my Kim. God, you're a ripper. Oh, oh wow. You'll yeah. be all right in about a week. Yeah. Oh, you should see him. Do you think all the shows are going to be like this? isn't just because it's the first oh, one, is it? It's going to be worse. Oh, my God. They are freaking Oh, it freaked me out. They freaked me out. They want more. They want more. You know, um, they went and did their summer warm-up tour, and then they went to Europe and did their tour. And what can I say about the Pixies, okay? You know, first of all, you've got... You can see it right there when when uh, Charles or Frank um, is talking to Kim and the animosity in his eyes. It's like, okay, awkward, but see, that's what this documentary covers. You know, um, there's a, you know, Kim, I think people wanted more of Kim. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Oh, let's, let's get it on. As the band's success grew, so did the personal and creative differences by Kim and Charles. By the time the Pixies recorded their third album, both Kim and Charles had already uh, argued their own solo projects. In 1992, as he was preparing to release a solo album, Charles gave an interview to the BBC in which he announced that the Pixies were disbanding. He hadn't yet informed the other band members. Isn't that fucked up? Can you remember why, what the reasons were that the Pixies split the first time? Oh, just tension. Mm-hmm. You know, 
questions about what though? You name it. <laughs> um, well, I, I don't know. like the way that she looked at me. Really? You know what I'm saying? You put four people in the same room for five years and there's going to be tension eventually. You know what I mean? We were young. We started when we were in our 20s and stuff like that. And I think we became, like anyone, in close-knit quarters, like dysfunctional, like any dysfunctional family. Definitely uh, revolved around Kim and Charles. I think... Uh, and I can't speak for Charles, but I'm sure he must have felt a little weird when, you know... Kim all of a sudden turned into this, like, darling, big darling. Might have crimped his ego, you know? Once someone has, like, started to annoy you, then you're all, you're, you, can, you can smell them coming around the corner, you know what I mean? Here they come. What? Oh, God, there they go! <laughs> you know what I mean? And it just didn't. It just... I sense some haterade and diva attitude. Oh, Charles is a diva! Oh God, let's let's continue on. Let's go down the land of Oz right here. About you, what are you gonna do mentally? I don't care. I just don't want you to go. Love you. Those twins, Kim and Kelly, are. That's a strong bond right there. And they, they're realizing, okay, you know, there's this animosity. Oh, my God, Charles, you need to just get on the... the never mind. I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say it. I know I want to say it. And I know many of us want to say it. Um, David's father dies during this tour. It is... It's sad. I mean, this is... This is really... And Kim is still... She's she's trying to combat, you know, being sober and the sobriety. And, you know, and at the same time, they're making a Pixies record on the tour bus. I think Charles wants to talk to Here we go. You know, everything gets swept under the rug, you know. But uh, this is going to bite us in the ass one day. So... He's gonna have to. He's gonna have to say something. You know? What'd you guys hear about the pixies? You both seem so young. Get it. Just want the book. This book right here. What is that? It's a, it's a book that I just, I randomly just picked up one day, and it's like this, like, eighth grader girl who's, like, obsessed with the Pixies, and I was like, oh, I think I'll give them a listen, and then from there I bought everything that they ever did. Yeah, and she taught me about them. This one, you're a big Pixies fan, he says, yeah, they're all right, I say, even though they're the best thing in the world. How can you read something like that and not think, I want to hear what they sound like, you know? I did, and it was good. Me and my friends went to do this like Pixies cover band type thing. We were looking for another guitarist, and no one's heard of them, you know? Like You would be the Kim Deal No, I play the bass, I have Kim Deal. It's not the same thing. You would be the Kim Deal of the band. Oh! 
she wants to be the Kim deal. This is interesting. And also this documentary, when you're listening to it, if you're a fan of the Pixies, if you're not a fan of the Pixies, is how they're revered, okay? How people get into the music, you know? I mean, I'm just gonna... You got gouge away. Where is my mind? I mean, they have... This monkey's gone to heaven. Oh my God. You know, some of their, these are some crazy songs. Gouge Away. Um, Bone Machine, that's one of my favorites. Uh, Isa de Encante. Encanta, which is in Spanish, of course. Um, Digging for Fire. I mean, I could name so many of their songs. If you don't know the Pixie songs, trust me. Nirvana knew them. And that is why Kurt was very aware. Okay, you know, we've done Smells Like Teen Spirit. And said early on, oh, this is such a Pixies rip. So if you can find Wave of Mutilation, the best of the Pixies, this will or get one of their first albums like Surfer Rose. Bone Machine, Nimrod's Son, Holiday Song, Caribou, that's such a beautiful song. Broken Face, Gigantic, Kim Deal, Vamanos, Hey, great song. Monkey Gone to Heaven, Debaser, Gouge Away, Wave of Mutilation, Here Comes Your Man, Tame, I love that one. Where Is My Mind, Into the White, Velora, Allison, Dig for Fire, um, UMass, Alec Eiffel, Planet of Sound, and Winter Song. Now, in this documentary, there's one of my favorite moments is Kim Deal sings this song, Heaven. Okay? Usually, I think Charles sings lead on it in heaven. Okay, In Heaven, Lady in the Radiator song, often referred to as simply as In Heaven, is a song performed by Peter Ivers, composed by Peter Ivers, lyrics by David Lynch. Oh my. Song is featured in Lynch's 1977 film Eraserhead and was subsequently released on its 1982 soundtrack. Ah, the cover. It was covered by the Pixies in 1987 for their initial demo tape and released in 2002. It's such a beautiful song. So simplistic. And you know the way Kim Deal plays the bass. And here's the thing. When you watch this documentary, there's a lot. There's a lot of animosity and jealousy going on. And it's most of it is directed at Kim. Here we go. This is New West of all that you have right now. I think once they heard this record, they would say, okay. And I guess at the end of the day, I don't care that much. Well... It's all going to end in tears. No. Not necessarily. Where's Daddy? So what's interesting is, is that I think at the beginning they all got along. You know, they're all dealing with their um, eccentricities and, and their sobriety. And Joe just had a baby, and Charles is going to have another one. Well, he's not going to give birth to it, you know, but... 
And Charles is preparing. I guess they're they at that point. I think they were going to record, but it wasn't it wasn't really out there yet. And so, are we doing another album? I don't know. Here we go. If we can do this, I've heard you talk about how you wouldn't mind going to do some festivals next year. Is that something that you would be interested in doing with the Pixies? And maybe Big Day Out. You know, Kelly, it seems that if there's a demand and people are really excited to see us and they can have shows booked, it always seems like fun. But if it's like, it's peaked and nobody wants to see us and we're gonna have to struggle to, to show up someplace, then that doesn't seem fun. Right. So you have a stack of songs, I guess, that you want to bring in and What's that? the Pixies to record? Or you no, want that you want to, you know, you want to get the creative juices flowing? Yeah, we guess we should go rehearse in someone's garage, whatever. There you go. See what the vibe is. We should really just start over with a different name. Really? All over. That's the only way we can keep it honest, I think. Or, you know, the Vomit Squad. He's playing with the interviewer. Look at it. He's smiling like a puppy dog. Just like start all over right, from scratch. That would, that would be the only cool way to do it. That'd be good. Okay, what about a record? I don't know. Charles is having a baby. Joe's got this. Young Charles kids isn't all. having the baby. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. It's nice and vague. I'm not being vague at all. No, I know. You're, no. I'm, you're demanding answers to questions that don't have any answers to. Are we doing another album? I don't know. I don't think. I don't think so. This yeah. tour hasn't really been about that at all. Isn't that interesting? Is that with the Pixies? You know, yeah. It ends with them playing "Monkey Gone to Heaven." Um, for an hour and 25 minutes Kim Deal mm. uh, <laughs> Now the tablet doesn't want to work Technical difficulties Dr. Zeus Film Podcast You know I love doing these And sometimes things just happen And I don't edit it out I'm, I know people It's not very professional Well Trust me, there's a difference between being professional and being boring. Okay. Black Francis, Charles Thompson, Charles, whatever. Um, Frank Black of the Pixies. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, here we go. The Pixies. Let's, Let's go down the line, shall we? Black Francis, Joe Santiago, David Lover, Lover and, and Kim Deal. Now Paz, uh, Paz is in there. Oh, yeah. Kim is not coming back. <laughs> She's not coming back. And so I refuse to listen to them until they say, Hey, Kim, you can come back. Um, this documentary, though, you know, like I said, it the pick the demand for the pixies for that reunion you know even david bowie david bowie loved the pixies he even did a cover of um what was that song he did david bowie did this really great nine, or 2002 album called heathen and 
did a Pixies cover. Now, sadly, I didn't know who they were. And then I heard that cover. And I remember my friend and I at the time were like, uh, you know, uh, oh, God, what was that song? Uh, let's see. Ah, okay. The album Heathen. I remember Carson Daly previously had this show late night on NBC and, and David Bowie was on it. Cactus. They did Cactus, which was a Pixies cover. And oh my God. And then I was like, who? And then he says, oh, the Pixies got back together. And and he was so happy because, you know, in 2004, that was his last tour. He had that heart attack and then he never toured again. And that was the Pixies 2004 to 2005, their last tour. So, you know, this documentary captures a band who they want to get back together, but then there's that animosity. And I don't think it's on Kim's part. I think it's on Black Francis's part or or Charles's part, whatever whatever his name is. Okay, my God, why can't they just play Last Tango in Paris where there's no names? But anyway, and I think you know that's the sad thing is Kim Deal is a really great musician and knows how to um, break apart a song and deconstruct it. And I think. Charles probably felt threatened. You can see it in the documentary. Oh, she wants to do her song. What's wrong with her songs? To be honest with you, it should always... when In a band, it should be give and take. You know, it's like Lennon and McCarthy. Sometimes Paul would sing. Sometimes George would sing. Sometimes Ringo. Sometimes, you know, John. Come on. Let's get real. But this isn't about the Beatles. This is about the Pixies. The Pixies... Um alternative rock just like rem we just did rem we did them all right and the pixies the pixies were together from 1984 85 to 1992 not very long but you know if david bowie's talking about them and he's talking about how he wanted them to get back together this is in 2002 and then they get back together in 2003 to start touring and i remember they mentioned that to david bowie and he just was ecstatic oh they're back together yeah so i did i you know this documentary is great watch it if you don't know who the pixies are you're gonna learn a lot you know it's gonna make you want to go back and open those songs up you know, don't worry. We're going to be more in depth with the next documentaries coming up. It's this documentary December, Dr. Seuss Film Podcast. Like I said, this monkey's gone to heaven. The pixie's all right. They've gone to heaven. So, unpleasant dreams.